0: What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael the Pod of SB Nation. Michael, I have been waiting all week for this conversation with you because I was just absolutely captivated by Michael Jordan's intense disgust for Isaiah Thomas. And you and I on the last episode kind of went through: Is there anyone we hate as much as Michael hates Isaiah? And we came up with a list. Certainly you came up with Derek Fisher, there's no doubt, Uh, but I think our ultimate conclusion was it is kind of difficult to hate someone as much as Isaiah, but now that you and your lovely wife had a great date night watching Michael Jordan just try to etherize Isaiah Thomas in front of a national audience, (laughs) I'm curious, how did that viewing experience go for you? What did you think? What did she think? Did I oversell this thing or, or were you right there with me in terms of how entertaining it was to watch?
1: No, it was terrific. It was it was fantastic. I mean, like the day. So it's really funny to kind of watch these episodes through the prism of someone who takes it in twenty four hours after everybody else, because you can't help but log on to Twitter or Instagram or whatever and see the conversation and see where things are headed. Like after the first two episodes, it was all about Scottie Pippen's uh, contract situation, and so I, I was I was prepared for that, but then. This one was interesting because it felt like it spawned uh, its own news cycle. Like Isaiah Thomas in real time was just going on television or wherever and uh, discussing his thoughts on the uh decision to snub as a team the Chicago Bulls and not shake their hands
0: well michael uh, i've after- always said that travis scott is the most available rapper there is doesn't matter what your event is travis scott finds a way of showing up and he proved that point actually by doing a fortnite concert that somehow broke every record imaginable uh but he he used to do all these different jordan events and um and all-star weekend events for the nba and everything else but isaiah thomas was very available this weekend wasn't he i mean he was getting his story out in front of the documentary and then as you're mentioning in real time very quickly getting a spin on things afterwards as well so kudos to him for going uh, you know really taking advantage of his quarantine opportunity to spread his gospel
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, he's he's all decked out. He's got the three-piece suit on. He's lounging with his revisionist history of, uh, oh, like the Celtics didn't shake our hands, so it's okay that we didn't shake the Bulls' hands, which has been debunked in multiple places by multiple smart people. I mean, just like the whole experience, I guess I was just like the Michael Jackson popcorn meme watching it, even though I knew what was going to be coming. <laughs> like, it, it's just incredible to, to me that Jordan has such disdain for Isaiah Thomas all these years later he predicted what Isaiah was gonna say when they but right before they showed him the uh, the footage of the interview on the uh, that iPhone screen. So like it, it's just an, it's an incredible documentary. I'm loving the ride
0: and well let me uh, let me ask you on the handshake piece itself. Um, sure. obviously this is a piece of Amer- uh, American basketball lore at this point. For your wife, who's maybe coming at it from like a less hardcore hoops perspective, did she think this was all just like idiotic and dumb and like beneath grown men to be arguing about? Because I know there was a lot of people who were like, they care this much about handshakes and they say millennials are petty. Like, what are these guys doing? (laughs) Uh, So
1: quick disclaimer, my wife is not a huge NBA or basketball fan, but she is from Michigan. So she is just, she's very familiar with with the the bad boy pistons and uh you know they won those titles i guess like when we were just wait like before we can even remember her and i but growing up as a child like the the i guess like the remnants of that mini dynasty really linger and so they're a super popular team but, yeah, it's just, it's, like, super silly. Uh, she thought when Horace Grant, who had just probably the line of the episode, which I don't <laughs> even think we could re- repeat here, um, when he said that, uh, we were both, like, rolling on the floor laughing. It was just such a like, great delivery. The fact that he, is, he clearly still hates them so much. I just, I love it so much. So great.
0: Yeah, it was pretty funny. You know, the, the thing that I kept coming back to in that entire uh, you know, montage or or back and forth discussion was it wasn't just that they didn't shake hands. It was how Isaiah didn't shake hands because when he walks by that bench, it's like the wimpiest thing I've ever seen a great athlete do in my entire life. He's ducking away. He doesn't want to make eye contact. He's like he's ashamed of doing the thing that he's doing while he's doing it, and. I think that really adds to it. I mean, if he was like Lambeer with his shoulders back, his eyes set, and he's just like strutting past the Bulls bench, then like, okay, <laughs> I get it. That was not the vibe at all from Isaiah. So um, I thought it was interesting to hear him say, you know, like if he could do it over, he probably would have done it differently if he knew it was going to uh, spark such a big outcry. I'm wondering though, if you're Jordan, obviously it really bothers you, but this was this a mm-hmm. best case scenario? Like, is Jordan just milking this thing for everything it's worth? Because, you know, let's be honest, if you're looking at the scoreboard, the Pistons beat the Bulls three out of the four series they played in the playoffs. Is this sort of a way for Jordan to, you know, delegitimize the team that frustrated him more than anybody else on the court?
1: I mean, I didn't even, like, know that before you just said it about the Pistons beating the Bulls that many times. I think when you look back, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, obviously they could have won that game seven, the, the famous, the infamous, Scotty uh, Scottie Pippen migraine game in the Eastern conference finals, uh, in 89, I want to say, um, or 90. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, he doesn't really even need to like the, I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit about the, the, the bad boy Pistons and kind of their legacy, but they are remembered as kind of the, uh, the, the ugly stepchild uh, of that era, despite going to three straight finals and going back to back, which is just incredible. Um, before we, we, we move on, I want to quickly talk about Isaiah for a second, just because uh, one of the really wonderful things about this documentary and going back in time is really appreciating guys who are, you know, ever since just either overlooked or underrated or whatever word you want to use. I mean, after the first couple episodes, that was Scottie Pippen and the the role that he had uh, throughout his time uh, in Chicago and, and just the sacrifices that he made and what kind of player he could have been and how valuable he was and how he would have fit so perfectly in the modern game, let alone back then. But like Isaiah is probably even more underrated. I guess if you like go back and just look at his numbers and just watch a lot of the—there's the, a lot of highlight— clips of him throughout his career that are kind of circulating, uh, on Twitter and online right now. And I also just went back and, you know, his career ended when he tore his Achilles in 1994, April 19th, 1994. And I went back and I read the, uh, the game story from that, um, just to kind of see what quotes he would have to say, or if he was mentioned in there, just kind of get the, the, the temperature reading. And like you brought up the, The situation where he's kind of ducking and being a little cowardly when he walks in front of the Bulls bench and doesn't shake their hands. But he was like one of the toughest people in the history of basketball. So it's like it's just really unfair for him that he made that decision. I mean, there's this quote after he tears his Achilles and it's just it's known that his career is over. And he says, I don't believe a basketball player should lay on the floor and cry when he's hurt. I know guys growing up in my neighborhood today. If you're a basketball player or a hooper, you take the pain. That is an incredible quote, knowing that he's he's never gonna be able to step on a basketball floor again. Like, I mean there's
0: there's parallels to Kobe, you know, shooting the free throw and, and walking off mm-hmm. and you know, refusing to be carried off. I mean that's that's beautiful. I'm glad that you found that. Um, There's no doubt he was underrated as a player. Still is. I mean, I think his first 13 years in the NBA, he was an all-star. He had multiple 2010 seasons, even though he's playing on super deep teams where uh, he needs to spread the ball around as a prototypical Mm -hmm. point guard. He has to keep guys like Dumars, Lambeer, uh, Mark Aguirre, Vinnie Johnson. He needs to make sure all those guys are staying fed. Um, on top of that, his numbers could be a lot bigger, but the Pistons played the slowest pace in the league for multiple seasons. They were the number one defense in the league or number two throughout their their kind of reign atop the Eastern Conference. So you know usually that's going to have an undercutting effect on a player's individual stats. And yet Isaiah, even though he's playing on this team that prioritizes defense, Isaiah is regularly leading, top 10 offenses uh, on top of that. I, I mean, I think when you look not only for him, but that team as well, I mean, uh, you mentioned earlier and not to pick on you that you weren't, uh, you didn't know that they had uh, beaten the Bulls three years in a row. Well, on top mm-hmm. of that, they beat uh, Bird Celtics. Uh, they beat Magic's Lakers, They beat Clyde Drexler's Trailblazers, which, you know, maybe not on the same level as those other two, but still they, they did it in the finals. And Isaiah had some incredible individual moments. I mean, In that game seven that you mentioned, the migraine game, Isaiah went nuts. Isaiah had 25 points in a finals game in a single quarter while hobbling around on a sprained ankle. So there absolutely was moments of incredible toughness from him throughout his career. And it it isn't fair to judge anyone, any player on their best day or their worst day. And I actually think that that handshake incident is probably fairly categorized as, uh, you know, one of the very worst days uh, of Isaiah's career. Um, but let's step back from him specifically to the team in general, because I'm curious, you know, the bad boys have had a little bit of a resurgence here lately. I believe they had their own documentary. I believe Dennis Rodman got a documentary, obviously Isaiah, is a commentator on television you know pretty uh, regularly heard from joe dumars was a you know a fairly prominent front office executive for years and years and years and lambeer has had this incredible second act as a WNBA coach as we mentioned on the last episode so it's not like they're invisible uh right but they're clearly fourth to the bulls the lakers and the celtics sort of from that era so i'm curious when you're like taking all this information in you're watching the last dance and how they're kind of presented there where it's very clearly they're the antagonist right they're the bulls Mm antagonist they're the celtics antagonist they're the lakers antagonist maybe they're not getting their own story do you feel like they're being underrated overrated properly rated like you know on that spectrum where do you come down on the bad boys pistons
1: yeah this is a tough one to answer Um, I I personally think that they're properly rated so I I first want to just like go over all the really impressive things that they accomplished I mean from 87 to 91 it's a five-year stretch they win two titles they make three appearances in the finals and in the other two years, they, they easily could have also won the championship. I mean, if you go to 87, which was Dennis Rodman's rookie year, they go to the Eastern Conference Finals, seven games. Uh, there's that infamous game at the Garden where Larry Bird steals the ball in game five. They should have won that. They should have gone up 3-2. Everybody at the time, I went back and I read some articles uh, from that series. Everyone at the time thought that after game four, uh, which came after two straight Pistons wins that the bull that the excuse me that the Celtics were old and washed up and that the series was over even though it was tied to a piece and they should have lost Game Five as well and then after that series there's the infamous uh, uh, situation where uh, Isaiah Thomas basically says that Larry Bird was if he was black he would be just another good player and all that so they they go through that I mean. They had three Hall of Famers, four Hall of Famers, if you include Adrian Dantley. um, And they won two in a row. And like today, when you kind of... They were
0: one win away from a three-peat, right? They took the the Lakers to Game 7 in that third finals. And just to underscore and clarify, those five years you're talking about, conference finals trips every year, five stars. Yeah, incredible. Um,
1: And winning back-to-back... We look back now and we're like, oh, that's that's very impressive, blah blah blah. But there's been a there's a lot of examples of teams that have uh, won two in a row, won three in a row. Uh, looking back, like that was not common when the Pistons did it. So before that, the '65 '66 Celtics and the '86 '87 Lakers, I believe, are the only two teams that went back to back before the Pistons did it.
0: So that's incredible. <laughs> like, well, so let, I, I, let me ask you the, the million dollar question then, Michael, if you're building these guys up, why do you say properly rated? Is it because that history has kind of found a way to come back and realize some of the accomplishments? Or is it just because they, they were also surrounded by Titans kind of throughout their tenure? Right. So I think the problem
1: is that they talk about how underrated they are constantly (laughs) and how overlooked they are. That's like the in the doc, in the bad boys doc, in the Dennis Rodman doc, they're just constantly needling that uh, uh, they didn't get the respect they deserve. The NBA didn't want them to win. They were just this ridiculous underdog. I mean, they had absurd talent. And um, I think like the way I look at it, once they're swept by Jordan – In the infamous series where he does not they did not shake his hand that's just kind of it for them i mean i think they would be remembered more fondly if that 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 rivalry kind of continued on a little bit and they met in the playoffs again and even though uh isaiah thomas was older i think he was 30 that year dumars was right around that age rodman was 30 lambeer was 34 but if they were able to retool somehow and still be competitive against the Bulls. But, like, what happened, like, next year, they're a five seed. They lose in round one to the Knicks, and then they're done. That's just that's, – that's it. And so I, I think if they were able to kind of ex- – as impressive as their reign was, I think if they were able to extend it a little bit and not go out the way they did – Uh, they would be remembered better so that's why I say that they're properly rated just like I think you know the Houston Rockets in the mid-90s winning two in a row they're properly rated we remember them as okay they won two in a row that's very impressive but no one says they're just an all-time historical team and no one puts them in that conversation and I think that that's where the Pistons belong as well.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that I don't want to butter you up here too much, Michael, but your piece about the NBA chemistry is so timely here, right? Because we're looking at this modern era where like teams are just turning over constantly. Can you even keep a core together? You're lucky mm-hmm. if you can keep your number 2 star happy with your number 1 star and he doesn't want his own team. And you look at the chemistry factor for Detroit, and Isaiah was talking about this in some of the interviews over the weekend where like they all bought into Chuck Daly's vision. They knew exactly Mm -hmm. who they were. There was no frills to what they were trying to do. They wanted to be the defensive first team. They had so many role players sacrificing. Those teams were so deep. I mean, even guys like James Edwards, John Sally, those guys could ball like in their own ways. Now, of course, if you're going to try to build a team around them as a centerpiece, that's not going to go so well. But if you're saying veteran guys sticking together, having a clear identity, making each other better, and all buying in and playing unselfishly, every single guy on the roster did that and uh one guy i don't want to give short shrift to here is joe dumars michael one of my all-time favorites that might surprise some people Um, i don't mention him very often on these podcasts but i actually thought it was the single biggest actually it was the second biggest oversight first of all michael jordan has a family and we don't find that out in the last dance we see his son every once in a while but he does have a wife who's just not ever shown here that's the number one oversight the number Overstate. two oversight is no Joe Dumars in the in this entire uh, setup. I think Dumars, everything that we were joking about how Stark struggled to guard Jordan and he was like propped up as this great Jordan stopper and, and everything else. I mean, that's kind of actually who Joe Dumars was. And not only that, but he was one of the classiest competitors in the NBA. They gave him a sportsmanship award. And he's surrounded by all these guys who are remembered as goons and floppers and whiners and everything else. And it was like Joe Dumars was the complete opposite of that. Um, It was almost like he's the foreign exchange student in the class trying to learn the language and doesn't speak it. You know, he's just like (laughs) uh, all by himself. Uh, But... uh, you know, to me, like he could really ball. I mean, he could score the basketball. Um, he was a you know an unselfish guy offensively, but could still get a bucket. Um, fit great with Isaiah Thomas. You could throw them up as a backcourt duo alongside just about anybody in NBA history. All, all time, um, for sure. And you know, multiple All Stars. So you know, to me, the chemistry thing that you were getting at in that piece, the Pistons are a fantastic example of that. You know, guys being willing to stay together, and the benefits that accrue if they do. You get to ride all of those guys through their primes, right? Through their mid-20s, into their late 20s, and even when some of them are getting close to 30. um, And it produces just winning season after winning season. So the great seasons, you win a title. The bad seasons, guess what? You lose in the conference finals. That's still pretty darn good. And I do wonder, is there any NBA superstar out there who's smart enough to take that message (laughs) from this movie, right? It's like, wait a minute maybe we should try to like get a core here together and not just bounce around every 12 months. It would be great to see that.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, we're going to see what I, this is why I'm, I don't want to switch the conversation at all, but I just want to quickly say, this is why I'm almost more fascinated with Giannis's decision in that context than I am, you know, him going, seeing where he he'll end up, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like that decision will have ripple effects in, in myriad ways, um, just particularly just looking at it through the dimension and through the lens of, of, of chemistry and the value of it in the league today. Um, real quick, like, what, what did you, what are your, the overrated, underrated, properly rated, where do you, where do you specifically stand on the, the bad boy Pistons, Ben?
0: I think I'm mostly with you there. I would say they're slightly underrated um, just because they don't have that signature superstar level guy that everyone loves and respects, right? And that's not to knock Isaiah, but I think he was on his own worst enemy at times. Reminds me a little bit of Kevin Durant with some of the defensiveness and the chippiness towards the public and the media and just not really being able to get his side of the story out. And so there's no shame in being off the medal stand when Jordan's taking gold and Magic and Bird are fighting for you know silver and bronze. But that's sort of where Isaiah was in that group. And this is such a superstar dominated sport that I, I do think that the teams, especially teams that focus on defensive intensity as their identity, wind up getting overlooked. Um, but you know ultimately, like if you compare them to say the San Antonio Spurs, right, where mm. I think that they're going to be completely. Uh, overlooked by history because they weren't as flashy as the Lakers of that era. And the Golden State Warriors came along and and won more titles in kind of a clustered period than San Antonio ever did. Um, I think they're going to wind up being more snubbed than those bad boys Pistons. But I really uh, the more I was reading and watching about them over the last week, the more I came to appreciate them. I mean, even guys like Lambeer, who are kind of like stereotypical punchlines. I mean, people hated him for everything, the whining, the flopping. Uh, the you know antics towards the uh, fans, the the fighting, um, you know the, the commentary and everything else. He's a multiple-time All-Star with huge stats, you know, and playing really important minutes on a really really good defense. Uh, you have to give it up for those kinds of guys. And you know, one thing I always try to do is definitely judge teams with their own story. And of course, the the number one story of the Pistons is going to be that they were the antagonists, like I mentioned earlier. But these guys do have their own story that's pretty darn compelling. I mean, there is not a lot of ego battles within that group. And if more teams could kind of have that same level of chemistry that they did, they would produce more consistent success. It's just so hard to obtain and maintain. All right. A key piece of that puzzle, Michael, of course, was Dennis Rodman. And I think he was presented... Uh, You know, it's a difficult story to tell in what probably about 20 minutes of one of the episodes in terms of covering Robin's entire career from his, uh, you know, late uh, arrival to the NBA at age 25 after being a homeless uh, uh, for a little bit coming out of high school, growing up in a very tough environment in Dallas to playing small college basketball, working himself onto the NBA draft scene getting himself as a role player into you know the D- uh, Detroit machine, and then ultimately rising to this crazy level of celebrity and fame, dating Madonna, dating Carmen Electra, becoming a key piece uh, of the Chicago Bulls' second three-peat. Um, you know, I-, I think that they might have misrepresented Rodman, uh, the overall nature of his career, by focusing so much on that trip to Las Vegas. But I understand why they did it, because I imagine as you're watching him hop on the motorcycle with a light beer in hand and drive off into the sunset, and then, you know, hearing about the debaucherous tales and getting to see him dancing on stage with no pants and everything else, uh, you're probably sitting there like, wow, what am I watching, right?
1: Yeah, I mean... Before I get into Rodman, I just really want to throw this quick line about Bill Lambeer that I read uh, in the New York Times describing him as having a suburban jump shot and a truck stop elbow. I thought that that was brilliant and I wanted to share it with everyone. Um, Going real quick to
0: Rodman... Uh, Where'd all the good writers go, Michael? What are we doing? It's it's just, that's a brilliant brilliant description. (laughs) We're just sitting here carrying the bags these days for those guys,
1: man. What a line. I know. I I don't really know exactly what it means, but it's still perfect. Um, What you left out about Rodman he was a janitor at an airport at 20 years old and he tries to steal watches and he spends the from the airport and he, he spends a night in jail 20 years old like think about like that's how old Markel Fultz is right now like it's it's his his uh his path is just it's fascinating uh we'll never see well, anything yeah. like it
0: let's jump on that before we do the the Vegas thing okay he doesn't make it onto the NBA. He's not drafted until he's 25 years old, right? He's coming from Southeastern Oklahoma State University, which I don't believe is in the ACC. You know, I don't think they're up there with Duke and and North Carolina in terms of producing NBA talent. If he, a player like him comes along, checkered pass, like we're talking about, this is before he's getting into the crazy hairstyles and the tattoos and, you know, all the wild parting and everything else. But just this idea of like oh there's gonna be some red flag character stuff in his background oh he's a late bloomer oh he went to a small school can we really trust his statistics he's 25 years old he's seven years older (laughs) than the one and done guy that we want to draft does he even get himself drafted in the modern nba like have the pipeline solidified so much where he's just off the radar and has to go play in europe what do you think
1: there's a, I'm going to go with a 0% chance that any NBA team would use a first or second round pick on a 25-year-old coming out of college. That's just, uh, that's not happening in today's league, especially if he, you know, you you knew some of the things about his past and why he was where he was at that time. Uh, so I, again, I just don't think that will ever, 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 ever see anything like this again. I think the, I was trying to think of any modern day comps to that kind of path, and obviously there are none, but the closest thing I came to might be like Joel Embiid, who has a really interesting story about, uh, you know, coming over uh, from Africa and uh, really not picking up a basketball until late in his life, wanting to be a a volleyball slash handball player and loving soccer and... And all that, and and uh, he's at Kansas and wants to quit after his freshman year, and uh, you know Bill Self tells him he's going to be a lottery pick, and he sticks around. Like that's the closest I can really uh, think of of just in terms of just mystery recruiting and kind of well, coming how about out this of nowhere. One
0: for- Right, I mean, there's another one. What about like Patrick Beverly? Right, I mean, he got himself drafted in the second round, but then mm-hmm. he has to go overseas for years, and he bounces around from you know place to place. He never makes his NBA debut until he's 24 years old, and then he winds up carving out a pretty good niche, It's like you know an all de- defensive level player or pretty close to it, yeah, playing on some winning good. teams. You know, kind of having that personality. I mean, of course, he's not as you know zany as Rodman is, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's insane that there was no. International tenure for Rodman. He's just grad, you know. He's basically hopping on the scene at 25. Um, like, are you even draft eligible anymore at 25? <laughs> like, that's like <laughs> in the modern NBA, that is just insanely old. I mean, guys are coming up at the end of their rookie contracts, you know, after four years easily before they're 25 years old. So, um, you know, just another example of like the crazy difference, I guess, in NBA eras. But let's go back to this Vegas story, right. Michael. What did, what was your takeaway from that? What's your wife thinking, uh, you know, as, as you guys are watching that together? Um, and do you feel like that was the right entry point for the Dennis Rodman story?
1: So I do think that it really, I mean, it kind of encapsulates or summarizes who Dennis Rodman is and what he was about at that point in his life. So I, I do like how they told it. and it is There is a shock value there, certainly. Uh, My wife and I actually watched the Dennis Rodman documentary when that came out, the one that was uh, narrated by Jamie Foxx. It's a pretty good documentary. You know, it's not really – it's just a lot of Dennis Rodman, and so you kind of get sick of it after a a little while, but – if you've watched it, or, and if you've kind of read anything about him, or if you can even remember what it was like when he was, you know, getting interviewed by Barbara Walters, and he was one of the most famous people on the planet, then nothing that, uh, no stories really shock you. I mean, he's a super polarizing character. He had a fascinating career. Uh, I don't I mean I'm pretty sure I knew about the uh, the Vegas trip. I didn't know all the details with the the Carmen Electra and the bedroom and all that. That was pretty interesting and uh, uh, legendary, I guess is the word to describe it. Um, and then you know, I think what's so interesting about Dennis Rodman and what makes him so unique and is just like he comes back and after like a bender in vegas in the middle of an nba season and they do this uh the the warm-up drill or whatever it was the the jog around the court um that michael jordan describes where if you're uh i forget the the exact name of it and i don't want to get it wrong the, but
0: it was the indian drill
1: right the indian drill so uh basically you're, you're just jogging around in a straight line as a team and then uh the person who's in the the who's behind everybody has to sprint to the front and blah, blah, blah. And that's just how it goes. And it's like dennis they did it to get Dennis Rodman back in shape really quickly or whatever, and it's like he he's in better shape than everyone. He's like tip-top. You can't phase him. And so stuff like that is just – I mean, I also think about um, Kevin Garnett. What would they say, they needed like four laps to catch
0: him or something like that? Yeah,
1: <laughs> so great. Uh, Kevin Garnett told this story. I don't recall where – Uh, when he was promoting Uncut Gems about... uh, I think the first time he met Dennis Rodman or something and uh, it was after a game and Dennis Rodman uh, I, I'm just gonna screw up all the details but basically he was like in Tim's and he jumps on like a treadmill and he puts it up to like the fastest it can go in the locker room and he's just sprinting and for like t- five minutes or something like that it's just like he he was built completely differently there's no one like Dennis Rodman there'll never be anyone like Dennis Rodman ever again.
0: No, his motor was unbelievable. I really have a love-hate kind of relationship with Dennis Rodman because he exemplifies so many of the things that I love about basketball players. If they have a high motor, if they're willing to sacrifice for the team defensively, if they can cover lots of different people, um, You know, he probably is one of the originators of the, you know he can guard one to five stuff. Mm-hmm. If they're unselfish on offense, if they understand their role and buy in, um, I love those guys. Unfortunately, Rodman, His success was dependent upon context a lot. He needed to kind of win in his own environment, right? So the San Antonio thing did not go well. His post-Bulls stuff, he was kind of on his last legs and his career fell apart pretty quickly. He found really good context in both Detroit and Chicago, and he absolutely thrived, so he deserves credit for that. But um, I thought maybe they oversold how great of a teammate he was just a little bit. Uh, because his record was just more uneven if you go across the entire, you know, uh, body of work during his career. Um, And, you know, ultimately, sometimes that stuff bothers me. It's like, if you're going to be a really great teammate, be a great teammate to every single person. Don't pick and choose and say, oh, I'm going to be a great teammate for Jordan, and not a guy like David Robinson. I also had kind of a wet blanket take on the Vegas partying. To me, it was pretty sad to watch the contrast between Rodman having all this fun in the '90s and then Rodman barely being able to string together a sentence in 2020. I don't know if you had that opinion oh, too, but some of the some of yeah. the, the interviews didn't it kind of remind you of like boxers who have just taken too many punches to the head, right? Um, where he's struggling with you know completing sentences, forming his thoughts, you know maintaining his train of thought. And it wasn't always like that. I mean, there was moments where he was really clear and he was doing a nice job telling stories, but. That part, to me, it was really hard to reconcile because you know, I don't want there to be like a glamorization aspect of, oh, look how awesome Dennis Rodman's life was. He was this crazy party guy. He had Carmen Electra, but you're seeing the effects right in front of you at the same moment, right? No, I mean, like thinking back
1: on the documentary that was solely about him, it's super sad. I mean, he was a heavy participant in it. There's a lot of uh, current interviews with him, in the current state that he's in which is just not pretty and this is a person who clearly has uh, a lot of unprocessed personal demons that he's trying to work through to this day and uh I, i i like i give a lot of credit to phil jackson and uh his ability to kind of uh come down to Dennis's level there's that story where they they meet for the first time and Dennis Rodman doesn't get up from the couch to shake his hand or anything and Phil's just like like some coaches I could imagine just being like screw this I'm out like right there it's over and we're not signing this player and Phil is very patient and he he bonds with him over uh his their shared familiarity with Native American customs and uh, I, I, I thought that that was really fascinating because a lot of times head coaches in the NBA don't get enough credit for their ability to communicate and, I guess, like withstand just a lot of crap from players. And they, they're kind of judged just more on X's and O's and ETOs and that sort of thing. And uh, I think that that was Phil, Phil Jackson's ability to kind of deal with Rodman in his prime at his apex of just being someone clearly battling uh, mental health issues uh, was brilliant, honestly.
0: No, and look, the contrast was clear. It's like Popovich or Phil Jackson, who handled it better, right, with Rodman. And it's like no, no contest whatsoever. It's two different styles. It's, you know, my way or the highway versus I'm willing to work with you. And for a player like Rodman um, who is just sort of not willing to get in line in San Antonio, the Jackson approach winds up, you know, getting a lot of very valuable play out of Rodman over the course of three seasons that all led to title runs. It's big time coaching by full Jackson. Um, my last point, and, and I don't really love being the well, actually guy, Michael, but I think this is going to be my, <laughs> my, one of my all time. Well, actually takes. Okay. So here it comes. Um, I thought the the Vegas focus on Rodman was a little misrepresentative because he misses two games to go on that little bender, right? Mm-hmm. Those were the only two games Rodman missed the entire season that year. At age 36, he played 80 games. He averaged uh, like 35 minutes a night. He was number two in minutes on the Bulls that season, total minutes to Michael Jordan. He played more than everybody else on the team, even at that advanced age. So this was a guy who, even though there's caricature is oh, he's very unreliable and there was moody spells and everything else, the bottom line is he was the number one player that Jordan could actually trust that season because Pippen was having the difficulty uh, with his injury um, and with his contract situation and the trade and everything else, right? So to say, oh, we have to go like pull this guy out of bed and, oh, I'm not going to say what was in his bed, <laughs> Carmen yeah, Electra, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, look, we get it. At the same time, like, This was, you know, this was the number, this was the sidekick this year. This was the guy you could actually count on. And for Rodman, it wasn't the most well-rounded game. You know, he's not really scoring at all. By that point of his career, he's like openly passing up shots and just sort of like force feeding the ball back to Jordan. at some points kind of driving me crazy because maybe he's not being assertive enough. He's being too passive with his offensive game, Uh, but he's still finding key ways to contribute. And, you know, being that reliable is a huge skill. And it paid off with a lot of wins that season for Chicago when they didn't have Pippen. So um I do think that they leaned into the caricature side and maybe sold short his basketball value side a little bit in that presentation. Yeah,
1: I think they were really proud of having that story and kind of knowing how attractive it would be to, to people who had never heard it or anything like that. And look,
0: I don't blame him for the story. The way Jordan told it was incredible. Like this idea of like, oh, if you tell him he can go on vacation, we're never going to see him. If you tell him we can go to Vegas, we're definitely not going to see him. That line had me rolling. Yeah, I I thought it was Atlantic City and I was
1: like trying to, one of the most annoying things I think I do during the documentary with my wife is like, right before something happens, I say out loud what is going to happen just because I know. And I said, oh, he didn't go to Vegas, he went to AC. And then it's like, no actually he went to vegas and i was like oh damn it i got that one wrong um so yeah um he was 36 during that 97 98 season as you said averaging 36 minutes a night played 80 games i what i don't remember and what kind of uh when you go back and look at the numbers on his basketball reference page like he only started 66 games and then he also was not a full-time starter in the playoffs um throughout the entire run which i i didn't even that 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 That's over my head right there.
0: Right. I mean, it's just tricky because he's still playing a lot, right? Um, And I think there could be some matchup issues and, you know, and that happens to guys in that stage of their career. Um, But even during the Detroit days, like he was um, a role player for a surprisingly large portion of that in terms of coming off the bench uh, that people don't realize. So Mm -hmm. it could be an example where like the celebrity factor and all the crazy nonsense stuff that he was doing off the court, continually raising the bar for himself actually kind of had an inflating effect upon how he's remembered and how important he was to those teams and everything else. But I do think that a key takeaway from that, that final season is like, Michael's just dragging everyone. And like, if he can have a hungover Rodman for 80 games, he's good. Like that's kind of <laughs> all he needs to be able to get over the finish line. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Goliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side. Your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition smart bed, a queen now for only seventeen dollars You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. All right, we're going to have more Last Dance talk next week, Michael. Um, but I think what we're going to do right now is shift gears because we got this really fun, really awesome hypothetical question from our buddy Jacob, who's a 12-year-old in Chicago. And I'm just touched that he would put together such a thoughtful email and scenario for us. So here it comes, Michael. He says, I want to know that if the NBA had to expand and add another team, which city would you pick for the new team to be in? And if this team got to draft players from other teams, like in an expansion draft Which players would they get to select? Here are the rules for you guys. And he says, you can have one 2020 All-Star, you can have two 2020 Rising Stars, and you can have two random role players. Another rule is that their egos have to match off the court and their playing (laughs) styles have to match on the court. So Jacob really wants you to put together a team, Michael. And he, and he continues to go going on by saying, you also have to keep your players at their normal position. So what's your starting five? And his starting five is John Morant's going to be a rising star. James Harden's going to be the all-star. Rui Hachimura is going to be a rising star at forward. Blake Griffin is going to be, uh, I guess, one of his role players because he wasn't a 2020 <laughs> all-star. And then Chris <laughs> Porzingis is going to be his center because um, he also hasn't been an all-star. So that is Jacob's scenario, but I love this idea, Jacob, but if you'll uh, allow me, I want to change the terms just slightly. We're going we're gonna to pick our own uh, team name. We're going to pick our own city, but what we're going to do, Michael, is treat this a little bit more like an expansion draft. And what we're going to say is all 30 NBA teams that are out there right now can protect three players each, Right. And then we're going to get to be able to draft our teams from the remaining pool of players. So obviously, deep teams like your favorite, the Boston Celtics, are going to have some pretty good, talented players available if you're assuming that they're going to protect Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker, right? So the other Celtics would be available. Uh, you know, lesser teams that really don't have as much talent, like the New York Knicks, they probably don't even have to protect anyone. Let's just be honest. Like, okay, RJ Barrett, maybe, but that's a uh, everybody sale. else... Yeah. Right, everybody else is fair game. So, we're going to try to pick our rosters here, you know, picking the best starting lineups that we can come up with and maybe just go back and forth a little bit if that makes sense. So, Michael, for the Great 2020 Open Floor Expansion Draft, I want to know what is the Michael Pena team named and what city are you located in? Hit me.
1: Uh, yeah, first of all, Jacob, this is I told Ben off. Yeah, this is my favorite question that we've ever gotten since I uh have been co-hosting this show i spent so much time
0: with this and it's it's just so fascinating and jacob realize the power that you have you're talking about a grown man in his living room pouring over the internet to satisfy your question and actually you've got two of them frankly because i did the same thing so michael yeah take it away it's so great uh so i'm just uh, in
1: terms of name and city i kept it very simple i'm just this is the seattle supersonics because i wow wow wait (laughs) copyright issues michael do we have any lawsuits brewing here come on no the people up there love this I, i know they do um so I have a a whole pool of players that I'm not going to even um we can we can discuss after I give you my team. There's like when you well, here,
0: let, let's go. Here's how we're gonna do it. I'm okay. gonna give you my team name and uh, and my city as well, and then we'll go through kind of position by position. We can talk about the players who we we just kind of weighed, and then you can tell me who you right. pick at, at point guard, and I'll pick my point guard, and we'll go forward. So. I was intent on having a team in San Diego Michael because you know the San Diego Clippers used to be down there and it would just be awesome to have another team relatively close to where I live. you know it'd be a great excuse, oh, I just need to go cover a San Diego game yeah and go spend a couple days down there, right. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of minor league sports teams down in San Diego and they took all the good names like the San Diego Surf already taken, San Diego Seals already taken so i had to settle for the san diego pines michael it's an homage to tory pines a beautiful nature habitat and also a golf course so it will be the seattle supersonics here versus the san diego pines uh for the championship what do you think (laughs) that's great what's the mascot for the pines uh it's basically the stanford cardinals mascot just stretched out (laughs) and elongated we're gonna have like a 25 foot tall version of the stanford uh the Stanford tree. Okay, without further ado, point guards. Uh, who was on your list of candidates and did you have a favorite? So
1: I had a pretty, I think, a short list for, for this particular position. And then I think one player stands out above the rest and was pretty obvious. Um, so I went with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie as my point guard.
0: Wow. We're on the same page. Now, let me ask you, because if the Brooklyn Nets are protecting their top three guys, it's obviously KD. It's obviously Kyrie. But they're in the position where those guys kind of run the team. So do they also have to protect DeAndre DeAndre Jordan? (laughs) Or are you saying they're protecting... Jared Allen or Karis Levert like how did you kind of come to the idea that Spencer's available
1: yeah Sean Marks tells KD and Kyrie that he's protecting DeAndre Jordan but low key he's secretly protecting Karis Levert
0: knowing that no one would actually pick DeAndre Jordan that's the move Um, That that is an absolute chess move and exactly what would have to happen for the Brooklyn Nets. And if you want to have any evidence, they're never going to win a title, Michael. That's it right there. These (laughs) shenanigans that they have to go through in an imaginary expansion draft just to keep their superstars happy. So make the case for Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, I think there are other guys like Goran Dragic could have been in this mix, maybe. Um, I don't know what other point guards you had, but why Spencer?
1: Yeah. Dragic, I think maybe... I also had Kendrick Nunn. I had... uh, uh, Let's see here. I had Lonzo Ball, I think, could have been a pretty interesting pick. Dennis Schroeder, that's a little debatable. Mike Conley. Um, I had Spencer Dinwiddie because he's already a borderline all-star. He's entering his prime. One of the better downhill pick-and-roll scorers and playmakers in the league. Uh, And if you're just building a team... He's someone who can score. He can score. He can facilitate. He's got really good size. I think he's six six for a for a lead ball handler. That's pretty good. I mean, uh, Brooklyn's offense this year. You know, I saw them up close. Um, pretty good when Kyrie wasn't in the game and Spencer was in the game, or at least passable. Uh, so if you give him shooting, uh, if you give him a roll man, you give him space. Uh, he is a I mean all star caliber point guard.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go back to what Jacob told us about the chemistry factor and like putting together guys that mesh. I think a really important factor if you're going to have an expansion draft is you need to have guys who are kind of on similar timelines, have guys who have similar priorities. And so, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie being a player on the rise, not over the hill, not making an insane amount of money. Is a really nice fit a really nice leader for this kind of a group because ultimately you're bringing together cast offs right and you need to have the right personality Mm -hmm. um i think that could actually work out really well and also when you're doing this you don't want to just rely only on name recognition and veterans because ultimately like expansion teams in the history of the nba um you know Jacob probably before you were born the last time they ever had expansion those teams always struggle, right? The first years of the Hornets and the Timberwolves and the Miami Heat were like really, really rough. So you have to be prepared for some bad times. And I think, uh, you know, having a player you can kind of grow with in Spencer Dinwiddie makes a lot of sense. Okay, Michael, give me um, your shooting guard candidates and your shooting guard.
1: Okay, so uh, I'll just start with who... This was this was actually this is like actually pretty tough. I, I it was like almost a coin flip decision. Well, you don't you don't have to make excuses for Andrew Wiggins. You can just say you took him. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins is uh, <laughs> he's on the short list. Uh, did not make the cut, sadly. I have him next to Danny Green and OG and Anobi and Joe. Doesn't
0: H- that say everything you need to know about Andrew Wiggins? Can't even make the cut for the San Diego Pines, a made-up franchise (laughs) on a podcast. Okay, so give me your your other candidates again, sorry. Yeah,
1: so all those guys I just said, uh, Evan Fournier, who I think uh, would be really interesting, Eric Gordon, uh, Joe Harris, all those players are super good at what they do, really talented role players, can score the ball, can shoot the ball, that's what you want. Um, I went with Josh Richardson,
0: Philadelphia 76ers
1: and fascinating
0: it's a great pick great pick because you know they're going to protect Simmons and Bede and who are you saying Harris
1: uh Harris Mike Scott uh, a lot of decisions on that roster I'm not sure where they go Corkmaz, it's a it's tough but yeah they probably go with Tobias Harris I would think
0: yeah well I mean I guess I forgot about Horford too right I mean the the tricky part with this is (laughs) is the contracts because you don't know exactly how each ownership group would handle the contract side of things but If Philly's trying to win now, maybe they are protecting Horford. Uh, They're probably protecting Tobias Harris as their third. Um, So uh, that definitely leaves Josh Richardson open. Um, I went a different direction. I'm going to see if you're going to debate me on this one, though. Okay. Uh, What about Drew Holiday as my shooting guard? And my argument is that if you're the Pelicans and you're building for the future, you have to protect Zion. You have to protect Brandon Ingram. And your third pick comes down to either one of the young prospects, probably Lonzo, um, but also, they've got that young center, the, the rookie that they drafted, or you've got this veteran in <laughs> Drew Holiday who's like really expensive and he's your captain. Are you necessarily protecting Drew or are you going to keep your core together with Lonzo and build for the future? I got
1: to say, uh, I really appreciate you not even remembering the name of their center who they drafted last year and would spend a pick on to uh to to preserve and not let go in the expansion draft that's how valuable he is to their team by the way you are referring to jackson hayes
0: okay okay i'll admit it jackson Hayes' name slipped my mind but this was a guy who was campaigning for himself as an all rookie team snub and he had to apologize after using profane language in, in conducting his campaign i don't feel bad about it whatsoever for for forgetting his name and are you arguing with me that they wouldn't protect him
1: I, I think that they would a thousand percent uh protect drew holiday I, I, Ooh, yeah really I do. I do I do I do I think that
0: uh I I kind of disagree man because you know Griffin's the new blood you know I'm not totally sure how long Alvin Gentry's gonna last down there as the coach it's a new thing you've got to build it around Zion I know Drew's so important for what they do but the expensiveness factor the age factor. I can't see them leaving Lonzo or Jackson Hayes unprotected. One of those guys is going to have to get protected. I,
1: I see where you're coming from. I see your point. I think that uh, when you talk about just team building and all that, I, I would say that worst case scenario, Drew Holiday is a really valuable trade asset, even on that contract that you could flip for something at some point down the line. If it wasn't working out, you can get future trade assets, et cetera. So
0: David Griffin is going to be exploiting the San Diego Pines, the new organization (laughs) in the NBA, (laughs) making us pay to trade for Drew Holiday. Okay. If you're going to shoot down Drew Holiday, I've got another idea for you. Landry Shamit. Oh, wow. He did not even make my list. Well, I'm a big Landry Shamit guy. He's super young, very cheap. You can, you know, team first guy already has shown he could be a role player and, and helpful in multiple locations. Classic guy. He's running around off the ball, making his teammates better. Hard nosed defensive players. Got some, uh, you know, playoff experience or or playing on uh, playoff team experience at least. Um, I in he like I said, young. You know, I, on the same timeline as Dinwiddie, I think that their games fit together. Uh, Dinwiddie not the best shooter. Uh, Shamit has very high potential as a shooter. And, um, you know, Josh Richardson, maybe a little bit of a a firmer ceiling in terms of you kind of know what you're getting. I'm not going to say that Lantry Shammott's (laughs) going to be a star, uh, (laughs) but I think he could be a very, very good fifth starter on a winning team for a long time. That's what I want in my culture. So is J.J. Redick just too old for this, do you think? Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago. Come on. Like, yeah, we're, I mean... The San Diego Pines are an up-and-coming organization, Michael. I don't know what you guys are doing up there in <laughs> Seattle, just trying to run back retreads or something.
1: Just dominating up here. Um, yeah. No, I – I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no disrespect to Lander Shaman. I think he's a quality player, and he has a role on maybe the best team in basketball, so he's, he's for sure there. He just – for some reason, he slipped under the radar for me. And actually, when – I was gonna bring this up a little bit later, but I might as well ask it now. With the Clippers, I had a really difficult time figuring out what three players they will protect, and uh, I would actually think when uh, like I would think that Lou Williams would be more of the kind of guy that you would be looking for, but maybe he's also too old and. Uh, but just in terms of like pure talent, and if you're trying well, to you're trying to like come on the scene and win some games right away in your first season, I think Lou Williams is probably the better pick there. Or do you think the Clippers hang on to him?
0: Well, first of all, the San Diego Pines are a multi-year organization. We're not trying to take the league by storm and win a title as an expansion team. Um, for, the Clippers are going to protect Kawhi's left knee, Kawhi's right knee, <laughs> and then Paul George. <laughs> Those are their three protections. Um, no, I think that in all seriousness, it would be Kawhi one. Paul George 2, I think it would be Montrez Harrell 3, um, would be their protections.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the
0: conclusion that I came to as
1: well, because Montrez was really high on my list and someone who I really wanted to put on my team, and I ended up actually not doing it because I could not see the Clippers not, not holding on to him, even if in real life um, before all this happened, before, et cetera, like uh, his free agency situation was a little murky, but he's so valuable to what they do and they're a championship contender. So I, I, I agree with what you're saying.
0: Well, this is a little bit inside baseball, but this is a good example. I really actually much prefer Landry Shamid over Lou Williams, even in that Clippers context, but especially in an expansion expansion draft context. I can't tell you how many times this season alone I had conversations with Clippers executives in the back hall of Staples Center before like after games or whatever and was just trying to like egg them on to playing Landry more in clutch time over Lou Williams and like when Landry <laughs> got hurt uh, my go-to line was like man it's really a shame you're not going to be able to see Landry with the other you know starters in that closing lineup it's, you know we really might want to see that as soon as he can come back that'd be such a great look just to get a little feel for it because we've been denied it for a month Because I always thought like just a better two-way player and a better fit with the other superstar level guys in that group, I think Lou can get hunted and picked on. And then, you know, ultimately like his ball handling is very helpful. But if you're playing out there with Kawhi and Paul George, you know, maybe you're taking the ball out of the hands of the guy who needs to have it. Um, So to me, I just prefer Landry over both those guys. But I think you mentioned another person who is on my, I guess I was treating him as a small forward. Mm -hmm. Did you say OG Ananobi as well? I did, yes. And we're totally sure he's not getting covered because Toronto is covering Pascal for sure. They're covering Lowry, right? Actually, you know that I'm thinking about this, they're probably covering OG. I don't know
1: why they would. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think of who else would. I mean, there's, of course, the Terrence Davis stands. Yeah, and Fleet. Yeah. Um, Really deep team was tricky. Tricky to
0: pick. I. I think they're covering Lowry, Van Vliet, and Siakam, which means their big guys, or older big guys are available if you want like a veteran leader in your front court. But I think Anunobi kind of cuts loose from that. I think I'd probably play him at the three in my lineup. Again, another young team first guy. I'm trying to fit Jacob's criteria of, you know, uh, rising hungry people sharing common goals. Um, I kind of like my squad if it's Dinwiddie, Shamit, and Anunobi. Who did you have at your three?
1: I just want to, before I pick my three, which anyone listening can guess, um, I'm surprised that you went with Shamit. I'm like, I'm still kind of in a daze over that decision. There's a lot of two guards out there, man.
0: Okay, so who would you put over Shamit? I mean, I named a few. I mean, I would take Evan Fournier over Shamit. Oh, come on. You're not going to be able to sell Evan Fournier to the good people of San Diego. Come on. You got that international flavor. Come on, man. Let's go. What's it?
1: Where, no, where, no. It, what is it? Where is Chamet from? Kansas? Kansas versus France? South of France? Come on, man.
0: 48 Look, all day. I mean, San Diego is a bountiful place with beautiful fields and beautiful, pristine, <laughs> rich beaches. <laughs> and you've got a guy who needs, like, the Chia Pet to take care of his hairline. Oh, wow. Right. Low blow, low gonna, blow. It's, it's not a cultural fit. It doesn't work.
1: Okay. Let's, let's move on before we start hurting people's feelings. Um <laughs> Yeah, so my, I'm just going to get my,
0: my small forward now. By the way, Shamit is 23 years old. Okay, that's I, I'm not sure you've kind of conceived yet, <laughs> but I'm going to say it for the sixth time. I'm trying to build a team for the future, and I'm trying to save cap space, and Shamit's on his rookie deal. Fournier at this point is 27, never been a part of a real winning organization. Empty stat guy to me. Uh, he could be helpful in the right context, but as a foundational starting two guard, For the san diego pines he's not what i'm looking for okay i yeah
1: you're wrong but it's okay and that's that's fine this is your team you can do what you want you'll be at the bottom of the standings for centuries to come i
0: disney world disney world (laughs) orlando magic can have evan fournier this is legoland san diego pines okay we have a higher standard from our amusement parks we have a higher standard from our two guards
1: okay fair enough uh so small forward i went with can you do you want to guess
0: who i went with here no go ahead lay it on me let's hear it
1: i went with gordon hayward
0: so i thought really hard about him too um and i was actually weighing him maybe as a power forward in a dream lineup um just trying to downsize a little bit you know now i've got a really tough choice because he was in my mix and so was um at the four spot, Robert Covington mm-hmm. was in my mix yep, too. Yep, yep, and I yep. was trying to decide, was I radical enough to go Hayward at the four, Covington at the five with like, you know, three young athletic wings? Cause that team would kind of be a squad. Um, sure. but I think ha- Hayward has a very, very strong case, uh, as the three, the downside would be you're kind of hoping he gets a career Renaissance. You're kind of hoping he can still be a franchise level player, I'm not totally sure he can be that guy, but if you're an expansion franchise, you kind of have to take risks on somebody, right? And there are worse risks to take than Gordon Hayward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm a little higher on what he can still be and what he still is than you um, this season before he broke his hand. Uh, he was like playing like an all-star before that, that game in San Ant- against the Spurs. Um, and he's just kind of, there's no, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's confidence issues since the, the serious injury he suffered a couple years back. But if you just like look at his game and break it down, there's no real weaknesses. So if I'm just trying to build a team from scratch, obviously there's the, the contract situation, which is like too complex to even factor into this exercise. But um, He's just so easy. You can plug him in almost anywhere and he's going to find his way. He doesn't need the ball, but he can also run an offense and uh, he defends multiple positions. I think if you look at that, the position uh, at the three, they're just he was the best guy available if you want to win basketball games. So that's it was kind of an easy choice for me.
0: Yeah, I'll say this. If you weren't paying Fournier $17 million a year, it wouldn't be a problem to overpay Hayward. You'd be fine. And you know, if you knew how to manage your salary cap better and you had the no rookie bruh, guys. Bruh, bruh, Josh Richardson. <laughs> how much does Josh Richardson make? Come on. I think t- 10 or eleven. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying this is why I do the, uh, <laughs> I could splurge on a Gordon Hayward because I've got Landry Shaman at like 1.2 or something like that. Sure. Um, all right, this is getting very dorky. Um, okay, Gordon Hayward, yes. He was also, I think he might be the single best player in this whole pool. Am I right? He is—he's up there. I, I like if you're if you're shooting down Drew Holiday as sort of like not available. I, yeah, I think Hayward di- yeah. is is the best individual talent here. Hayward, I think you
1: could make an argument actually for Dinwiddie, um, and I'm trying to look through my whole list here. Uh, I don't want to say anybody else that might spoil later rounds, but no, I mean Hayward's in the top three for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure okay um let's move on to power forward who do you have in your mix i went traditional here and
1: uh one of my favorite players and an incredibly valuable player
0: for a very good team who oh can i guess sure is it paul Millsap? it is paul Millsap. Yes. Dude, the Sonics are going to suck in three years, Michael. What are you doing? This short-term mentality. You've got all these guys on big contracts. You're gonna, your team's going to fall apart in 2023. The pandemic's going to be <laughs> over, and half your team's retiring. <laughs> no, it's great. No, don't even worry
1: about it. We're going to win a playoff series in year one. We're going to make some great trades. Don't, I'm in, I'm in charge of things.
0: Don't. There's no reason to worry. No, it's funny because I actually created like a bench unit. He was in my bench unit, and it was like all guys like him. It was Drogic. It was Danny Green. Mm-hmm. It was like all those kinds of, uh, you know, Joe Ingles was yep, another one. Yep, yep. yep. Um, g- guys who are sort of like a little bit past their prime, but like clearly the fourth best player, the fourth guy on really good teams in terms of the protection order. Um, and I agree, Millsap would be left unprotected because you've got to protect Murray. Um, Jokic, and then you've also got to probably protect Michael Porter Jr. at this point. Exactly. So, um, very shrewd, sound pick if you're trying to be, you know, an eight seed or a nine seed, Michael. But I, you know, the San Diego Pines have higher goals, higher dreams. No, let's hear it. Um, I went Covington. Um, before you b- a little before bit-
1: before you go into Covington, let me just say that he was he was penciled in at this spot for me for a very long time until I talked myself out of. Houston actually preserving him and, and protecting him. I, I think that they there's a potential... Houston's really interesting. I don't know who the third guy is, to be honest. It, it could be Tucker. It could be Eric Gordon. It could be Covington. And I, like how did, so, how did you kind uh, of balance I, I, that
0: out? Yeah, well, I was imagining basically like, look, um, they're in shambles because of the owner, right? <laughs> um, they've already... They're long past turning over the franchise to Harden. So I think that Harden is actually getting to make the protection picks. And in that case, he's protecting Westbrook and he's protecting Tucker because Mm -hmm. those are the two people who make his life easier and better. And everybody else there is kind of expendable. So that's why I thought for sure Covington would be available. He's the new guy too. I don't, I'm not infatuated with Covington, but I do think Um, right type of personality to play with this group. I think it's a a certain degree of stretch, which I'm going to need for my uh, backcourt roster. Uh, Versatile defense. He's just a modern player. And obviously the San Diego Pines want to be a cutting edge team, you know, in in a a West Coast city appealing to, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, forward thinking, wellness minded uh, fan base. So he just kind of fit with my overall vibe. A little bit older than the rest of my core. He's got some injury issues that could kind of come back to haunt him. But the other options, if I was trying to go like for a three and then pushing Hayward up to the four, just I couldn't talk myself into it. It's like Wiggins, um, you know, or like Kyle Kuzma or Danny Green. I mean, however you wanted to juggle those things, I just didn't like it as much as this idea of like a lockdown defensive piece with Covington.
1: Yeah. And another factor is you've got Shamit uh, and his squeaky porch door defense. So I really like adding
0: Covington's oh, rim protection Shamit, right behind
1: competitor.
0: him. <laughs> I think you're, you're underrating Shamit's defense. He, he gets sure, after no, him. Yeah, He's a little totally, hard nose. Totally, totally, totally. You, you would not be able to get the ball across half court against Lantry Shamit. Probably, I'll say that. probably not. Probably not. Okay. So that's all you need to know. Okay. Uh, we're, we're locking you down. As long as the <laughs> Seattle Supersonics put their owner out on the court, we're going to win the game. Yes. Um, centers, who's on your center crop?
1: This was fun, especially because I, I basically bumped up a lot of fours to fives like and cheated. Um, the five I, I, I eventually selected also I think was a stretch, no pun intended. I think that the team... Um, will probably protect him, but I don't, I I don't know. And I wanted to pick him anyway, so I just, I kind of fit it in there. But uh, some snubs real quick, like, I I wasn't sure what's going on in Toronto. So Marc Gasol, Serge Ibaka, Um, Miles Turner. They're
0: they're definitely available.
1: Yeah. Miles Turner in Indiana. Um, Not, if you look at that roster, it's not a given that they would protect him. It really isn't. Uh, so,
0: uh, Miles Turner is definitely available yeah. because I think they're they're protecting Oladipo for sure, Brogdon second, exactly. and Sabonis third. Exactly. If they had to choose between Sabonis and Turner, gun to their head right now, I think they take Sabonis. Easily. So I think Turner is available and Turner is my center. I picked him over oh. Clint Capella. I picked him over uh, Jonas uh, Valanciunas, who I've always had a soft spot for. I just feel like, okay, he's more of a role player at this point. I picked him over any of the fours that I was going to try to play up at a five, and I also picked him over your favorite person who you just wrote a long profile about, who would definitely be available, Michael, and that's Andre Drummond. (laughs) Um, Wait, so my
1: first reaction to that is that the Atlanta Hawks aren't protecting Clint Capella?
0: No, I think that they have to go with um, obviously Trey Young right. and then John Collins, you know, Mr. HGH himself or whatever he was busted okay. for. Uh, and then their third, they have to keep one of the Young Wings because that's their developing core, right? So it's it's Hunter or it's Reddish. I think they have to let Capella go because they're all on Trey's timeline. And like this would be a very difficult spot for them to be in given that they just traded for Capella and probably see him as a core guy. Yeah, but
1: yeah, exactly. I,
0: I don't... I don't think that you can trade away K- Reddish. You you can't unprotect Reddish given the stakes of that Luka trade. I mean, you're really invested there. But if you do, you better keep one of those wings because otherwise, like, what are you even selling to your fan base? Right? I
1: think you you roll the dice and you protect Capella because I, and if you're you're Travis Schlank, you're just sending text messages to either you or I or whoever is running the expansion team, just constantly uh, updating us on Cam Reddish's field goal percentage as the season unfolded and how actually he's not that good um oh trying
0: to trying to scare people yeah, away exactly
1: from <laughs> just spreading yeah. rumors
0: leaking uh I mean,
1: off court bad bad habits in the locker room that sort of thing
0: i just feel like a lottery pick like reddish like i don't i don't like him right but if there was legitimately a two-team expansion draft where they have to go through and fill like you know 12 roster i guess 15 roster spots That's a piece. 30 yeah that'd be 30 guys yeah He's he's probably going right. Yeah, probably.
1: You're probably right. Um, that's a tough one though, because at first, point no, it's she- a really tough yeah. call.
0: Um, well, I didn't. Honestly, it doesn't matter because I didn't even pick Clint Capella. So who cares? I picked <laughs> Miles Turner. <laughs> <laughs> so Turner was a-, a final cut for me.
1: Uh, Montrezl Harrell, we went over. I really wanted to put him on my team, but I, I just I thought it was cheating the exercise. Uh, and the guy I picked, I think also kind of potentially cheats the exercise, but I don't care. Um, I selected Brooke Lopez
0: as my five. Um, why do you say he cheats the the exercise? Because
1: he's just so valuable to everything that the Milwaukee Bucks do. I think that you, you obviously have Giannis, you have Chris Middleton, and then it's kind of debatable who they, they preserve with that, that third pick, don't you think?
0: It is. I might push back on this one. I think they might protect him as their third guy. Yeah. Because ultimately, if they, still had, if they still had Brogdon, I think that's a pretty a strong argument. He would be their third. But Bledsoe, at this point, if they could get rid of that contract, I think they'd be good with it. Their, their other role players are significantly lower on the totem pole. So actually, I'm going to strike that from your roster. Brooke Lopez is not transferring to Seattle you're going to have to pick a different player. Okay, that's devastating.
1: And then I'm going to go with uh, one of my all-time favorite underlo- underrated overlook players of the past five years, uh, Derek Favors.
0: How did you not even consider Andre Drummond after all the stuff you've been writing and talking about with Andre <laughs> Drummond? He didn't even make your snubs list. We're talking about an all-star, the rebounding leader in the NBA. You don't want to build your franchise around this guy? I actually think that the Cavs
1: would protect andre drummond i think that's kind of the yeah i I do i do no no i do come
0: on michael they're protecting both the point guards and kevin porter jr
1: Hmm. Eh. they gave up so much to get him though okay they also (laughs) might protect chetty (laughs) what about chetty they love chetty in cleveland i I have no idea what they're doing in cleveland uh no he's yeah they're,
0: they're not protecting andre drummond come on he's the franchise big man they might not even bring him back. Oh, no, yeah, it's a, what I yeah it's a player option. He's going to be there. Kevin Love. They're protecting Kevin Love. I forgot he even existed. Yeah. My fault. Oh, yeah. They're definitely it's- protecting Kevin Love and the two guards. Okay. That's that's happening. Maybe. Um, I'm, st- I'm still going Derek Favors. I just... Uh, so disrespectful to Andre Drummond. I I came on here and said he had the most depressing life after he got traded to Cleveland, and you got very offended. And the truth comes out three (laughs) months later, Michael, where he can't even get a look, and you're picking Derek Favors, who's definitely past his prime. Whoa, Uh, whoa, 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 whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Let's calm down. Quality
0: role player, quality role player. But again, are you striving for a seven seed? You want to just be the Indiana Pacers? Is that what you're trying to be?
1: Good luck scoring on my team. If I have Derek Favors at the five, who when the New Orleans Pelicans, when he was out of the lineup and he was hurt and he was battling some personal issues, they were garbage on the defensive end. He comes back, solidifies everything. They're perfect. Um, I just love Derek Favors. I think he's a really smart basketball player. You look at what happened to the Utah jazz in a lot of ways when he left and uh, what, how it impacted Joe Ingalls, how it impacted their rotation. Um, I love Derek Favors, man. He's he's awesome. And so if I, you know, I would I would like a little bit more stretch on him. You know, he'll shoot some corner threes every now and again, and that's why I had Brooke Lopez on my team because he can roll, he can post, but obviously his big thing is spotting up from like thirty feet away from the basket. Uh, but uh, if I can't go five out anymore, that's okay because Derek Favors is going to be a ferocious role man. He's going to be the the defensive anchor that this team needs um i think our defense is in this lineup is just spectacular i mean from richardson who can guard a ton of guys he's a dog hayward i said he's a swiss army knife paul Millsap, still one of the better defenders at his position we got rim protection with favors spencer dinwiddie is um i guess long oh, for his position <laughs> you,
0: you've got a very nice squad i'll say this i mean you're gonna make the playoffs you're going out in five games in the first round but for an expansion team to make the playoffs is no joke so i'm gonna tip my hat to you um, I think you're gonna be fired in three years once your guys age out and once your owner realizes that you kept a little bit too much of a short term focus and you didn't plan for the future, Michael. So I, I think it's a classic uh tortoise versus hare analogy here where I think you're the uh you're the hare, but I think the tortoise, the San Diego Pines is gonna catch you with our youth and our rising stars and our, our potential. But you know what? We're going to leave this for the Open Floor globe to decide. They're going to email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Which roster did you like better, the Seattle Supersonics Part 2 or the San Diego Pines? Michael, we're going to close with one final word from Robin in Dubai. and he He writes, I just wanted to say thanks so much for turning up twice a week through these horrendous times and continuing to do what you do. I have listened to Open Floor since 2017, and it's always been my go-to podcast for work, whether I'm in the car, in a hotel room on a business trip, in countless taxis to and from airports all over the world, in airport lounges, on planes, and lately just hanging out at home trying to get through these days. I am one of the lucky ones since I am able to work remotely and my job hasn't changed all that much. For you guys, I can only imagine how disheartening it must be to have lost basketball altogether for who knows how long. For me, the NBA is an interest and a diversion, but for you, it's the center of your daily lives. You could have just packed up and receded into your own spaces. No one would have blamed you, but instead, you work hard to bring two hours of great content to the airwaves each week, somehow finding things to talk about. Do not for one second underestimate the difference you make to the people who tune in. It's not really even about basketball. It's about feeling like you're having a chat with two old familiar friends. I don't have any hot takes or topics for the pod. I just want to take a few minutes to say thanks. Thanks, Robin, but bring some hot takes, bro. Come on, man. Like, what are you doing? No, I'm playing. Such a thoughtful, nice message, Robin. You, you brought a huge smile to my face. I'm sure Michael uh, feels the same way. It's nice to get those little pick-me-ups as we're carrying along through this thing. You're right. It's been very disorienting, disheartening, not to know what's going on with basketball. But Michael, I sit here feeling pretty lucky. We got a great message from our guy, Robin in Dubai, who's clearly a big-time world traveler. We got an incredible prompt question from the 12-year-old Jacob in Chicago, who's just taken a break from his e-learning, uh, you know, uh, elementary school classes, middle school classes, to shout us out and, and get us going on an expansion draft. We're lucky, guys. We're grateful, and we appreciate you, everyone out there for supporting us and holding us up during this time.
1: Yeah, 100%. I second all that. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, Jacob, Robin, you uh, lot of fun because i mean you guys the questions that you send in they're they're honestly a, a boon to uh my psyche and uh, i assume ben's as well so i really appreciate
0: it there's no question so guys keep those emails coming open floor Mail at gmail.com open floor Mail at gmail.com and you can check us out on apple podcast by searching for open floor that's two words when you find our page scroll down it will say rate and review Top five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Vias and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. On Twitter at Ben Golliver. Be sure to check out my Washington Post newsletter. You can find the link on my Twitter page. Hey guys, until next week when we'll be back with plenty more last dance breakdown and a whole bunch of questions from you, uh, Michael, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Thank mm-hmm.